Remarkable DM Liz. Hello. The incredible DM Corbett. Flame on. And the amazing DM Jim. And as you might guess, those were web shooters. Sorry. <laughs> by the adjectives, we're covering the Marvel Superheroes heroic role playing game put out by TSR in 1984, written by Jeff Grubb and Steve Winter. And we're going to delve into that. But before we do, everybody is going to name one thing they've done gaming in 30 words or less, starting with Liz. One thing you've done in gaming. Past uh, week. Gamed. <laughs> Corbett. Got upset with my son about needing a book. <laughs> Jim. Uh, growing my own rubber tree plant familiar in a pot of soil I'm hauling around strapped in my backpack. Woohoo! Good one. That's all pretty self-explanatory. And mine, <laughs> we're in a dungeon with sphincter doors. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely true. Which we have to apply pepper paste to to open. That is also absolutely true. <laughs> what did you guys do to make Chase mad? That's all I got. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, but... <laughs> I think he's played too much Fallout, to be honest. But but yeah, all right. Well, we shall hit a pod break then, and we will come back to Mike and the Mechanics. Into a world without nearly enough quality gamer podcasts they came. The Grognard Files, a podcast about role-playing games from back in the day. You know they're experts because they speak with British accents. Find them at armchairadventureblog.com, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are served. complete it's just a joy to shop there values that are hard to beat you'll find from ground to top there where at montgomery ward 
following is brought to you by the City of Greyhawk and the Council of Eight. Greyhawk, if you lived here, you'd be dead by now. It's time for Mike and the Mechanics! Sorry, sorry, that's Mike and the Mechanics of the game. My bad. Mike and the Mechanics. Well, like I said, Marvel Superheroes, the original yellow box set. For the time, possibly the simplest superhero RPG I'd come across. I bought a copy when it first came out. It's very simple. It has seven attributes. Fighting, agility, strength, endurance, reason, intuition, and psyche or face rip, as it is called from the first letter of each of the attributes. They have various adjective names of ranks going from feeble to class 1000. The system is percentile-based for virtually everything. It came with two 10-sided dice. Real 10-siders, because it was 1984. You had several... Marvel superheroes that came on cards in there, and a character generation system in the back, but we'll get into that more when we get to it. Combat is usually either on a combat table to determine if you hit, or the universal table, which we will discuss later as well. Pretty simple resolution system. And so, without uh, further opinions, enough said, off to top five. First impressions. We will start with the only other person here who's actually played it, Corbett. First impressions. I was first handed handed it by um, I borrowed it from uh, Brian Johnson. Actually, it was cool, but it felt a little juvenile at the time because I had already seen other superhero games and they were a little more uh, granular, I guess. But you got to play all the Marvel characters and. You, know, you didn't have any, there's no complication. You could just play it. And it was pretty cool. And it had a cool mat and it had all the fun stuff. So overall, I, I'd say it hit you right in the face with kind of cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I picked it up right after Origins 84 held in Denton, ironically enough. I was destined to end up here, but... Ah, little did you know. Yep. After the con, we went down to Diamond Warehouse, because at the time, my brother and I were trying to start a comic gaming store in Liberty City, Texas. That was a stupid idea, but... And this is just a treasure trove of unknown facts to me. There was yeah. Origins in Denton, and you wanted to start a comic book store. Yeah. <laughs> well, we did. Well, we got a license, got shipments from the distributor and everything and one of the things i had ordered wholesale since we were using the the shop thing was this game my first impressions were very similar to corbett's probably because i had started with champions so and i'd seen V, so it felt 
yeah, I, I hate to, I hesitate to use the word juvenile, but very simple. On the other hand, as he also noted, you got stats on Marvel's characters of the time, which was pretty awesome. It had not happened before in an official capacity. I had gone to a convention in Atlanta where we played a champions game where somebody had actually come up with these stats for the X-Men and I got to play Nightcrawler and I, and as part of it, I got to take home what I saw was champion stats for Nightcrawler. But before that, you really had no option in an official capacity. So, all right. Now for the people who are reading this the first time, Jim, what was your first impression? I, Back in the day, I bought it when it came out, but I was 23 in 84, so I was already a hardcore ad and -er and uh, and had run a Champions Universe for years. So, ah, uh, okay. We we thought basic D and D was babies D and D back then. We were just obnoxious about it. This was, I only bought it to to, to have the Marvel art and collect the minis. Uh, now, though, am I allowed to say now how that's changed? Absolutely. Yeah. Now I'm completely charmed by it and actually want to play it. Because it's it's super streamlined, rules light, and that means more RP and more fun now at this age. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I've become more tolerant of lighter systems as I've gotten older. And I think anyone who's listened to the show knows I think that's a pretty much universal thing for a lot of us. I mean, Champions Character genera Generation takes an Excel spreadsheet. I don't have the patience uh, for that anymore. Yeah. Just no, no. Liz, your first impressions. So I am apparently the only one here who had never looked at the Marvel superhero rules before. Which is ironic, considering you chose this game. That was why I chose it, though, because I wanted the opportunity to read through them, much like why I chose the Dresden Files game. And this show is an excellent way to make me read rules for games that I would probably not otherwise give myself the time to do. Look at you having an open mind, exposing yourself to new things and new ideas. Are you sure you're an old school gamer? <laughs> but I still have to make myself do it, kind of like with, um, with my art. Now that I'm no longer going to college and taking the drawing and painting classes, I almost never give myself... I don't allocate time for myself to make art at home. And that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about going back to school was because I had the classes, it made me set aside blocks of time to do my art. I mean, I have the desire to read new games, but unless I, you know, set myself a, a deadline like the show, I almost never actually follow through and read the new games. So... But getting back to first impressions, yes, I really enjoyed this. And I do think that if I had first seen it in my teens, I probably would have felt much the same way that you guys did upon first seeing it. Some of the language of the book, it kind of does feel like it's talking down to you a little bit, or I would have seen it that way as a teenager. I certainly felt that way about Moldfay basic D&D, &D, I really felt like it was talking down to me after having come from a Holmes basic and AD&D &D background. Um, but looking at it now, I really like how simple a lot of this is. And one of the first things that I did notice was 
I can see the seeds of Victorious's creation in some of the rules of Marvel superheroes. No, you don't. I do. No, you don't. You know, at first I thought, oh, I see, you know, I see, you know, the, the champion's influence. But now that I've read this, I see the Marvel superheroes influence as well. Well, somebody, I don't remember who, but somebody said that ever since the 80s, every superhero game ever made is trying to either be champions or Marvel superheroes. And I'd like to think Victorious is both. Yeah, I mean, I think you took advantage of the great ideas from both of those systems and managed to marry them together. So that was one of the things that really struck me was, you know, reading some of this. It's like, oh, yeah, we kind of do this in Victorious. It's like, ooh, this is neat. (laughs) All right. Well, then without further ado, let's start with top five, Jim. Oh, I get to go first. Um, Thank you, first of all, because I've been calling this system phaser rip for 20 years. And I just learned when you said that, that the letters stand for the abilities. (laughs) That's how much I knew about this game. (laughs) Today I learned. (laughs) But uh, I I will start out as is my habit with the art. I love that. I, I both love and hate that this was created at a time where the artist rights weren't the same as they have become today. So the art by the Marvel bullpen was a huge plus and the, and the main reason I bought it when it came out. So they just took whatever art was laying around the Marvel office. Somebody cut a deal at TSR, we'll, they'll supply all the art and they just took whatever was laying around. And the Marvel bullpen credits include like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko and John Byrne and everybody whose art they lifted to use in the game. Although the, Rules illustrations are mostly Al Milgram with John Romita on the cover. But being being OCD and uh, being fresh with uh, sharp copy editing talents, I then went through the rule book to find a piece of art that wasn't credited under the master Marvel bullpen credits. It was just a laundry list of everybody's name. And there's a Frank Miller daredevil front and square on the inside cover. And Frank Miller's name is nowhere in there. And then that got me thinking, oh, 1984. Hmm. Was that when he was starting to take issue with stuff. Ah. So there's my number five. Okay. Art by the whole Marvel bullpen, including Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby for crying out loud. No, but none of them got paid a cent. I bet. Oh, no doubt. Corbett. I can dovetail off of that. I was uh, at a bittersweet moment by reading through it uh, because there's all these fun, you know, it's clobbering time and the thing walks you through how to fight and Spider-Man talks you through the role-playing aspects. It's it's all kind of fun. And it's like, oh yeah, this is what it was like back in the, you know, the hostess Twinkie days of, of uh, Marvel advertisements and stuff when it's sort of a, that bronze age. And I realized every so often there'd be a picture of the Punisher or, Wolverine and it was a harsh reminder that the bronze age was about to end and it was like it's like a time capsule of a, an entire era of comics about to change because like invisible yeah. girl is pre, not pre invisible woman. pre dark knight returns and everything everything is just about to change and it's got that it's got that hostess twinkie kind of ad feel of ah we punched him enough and now he's going to eat these snack cake and it's sort of fun <laughs> 
If only Thunderbolt Ross had used Apple uh, Hostess for the eyes. But yeah, that was a bittersweet moment in reading the the book. The first first kind of rewalk through it again. Yeah, it was a real kind of retro back to the more innocent days of Marvel. Who would have ever thought that? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Liz, number five. I'm going to gripe a little about the optional rules in the boxes with the design overlay of Spider-Man's mask on it to obscure the text. <laughs> yeah. Preach it, sister. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Those watermarks shouldn't be there at all, and they're too dark anyway. I know. It's like, I mean, I got gazetteer flashbacks for a bit. It's like, what? why? Why is this here? <laughs> I mean, I get you want to put the optional rules in you know, offset in a way that you can easily tell at a glance. These rules are optional, but I mean, that was so hard to read. It's like, I, they could have done better. They could have done better. Yeah. Okay. My number five. A lot of superhero games, in my experience, because combat is such a big part of superheroing and combat between supers can take a while, ranges. And movement speeds and all this sort of thing take up a lot of rules. They don't worry so much about this here. Everything is just areas. Yeah, you know, and the maps are broken up just into areas. Well, how many yeah, you can move three areas? Well, how much is that exactly? Well, it doesn't really matter. It's you know, game speed. How I could throw this four areas. Again, are you worried about velocity? No, no, you just throw up four areas and you move on. For a simplified game with a battle book that is only 16 pages as opposed to the campaign book, which is, I think, what, 50? And then Day of the Octopus, you know, just to get people immediately starting to fight, it's a great way. And I think that was a good, good way of getting this game started and not bogging into that. Movement and encumbrance are the bane of so many role-playing games. Well, how many systems can you boil down to 16 pages? I, I, I edited the DCC starter rules, in it, and getting that into 48 pages was a nightmare. With the expectation of explanation, explanatory notes and stuff nowadays, I don't know that you could get something down to 16 pages anymore. Except maybe time ship. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, metamorphosis alpha microtype. Yeah, microfish, <laughs> have a little reader. Okay, four, Jim. Oh, back to me. It's it's the, like Liz. This is the joy of the show is going and exploring things that I just had not ever bothered to do because I get it now why there's a generation of gamers, the the kids that this game was aimed at, that were ten and twelve at the time, imprinted on it, and now in their forties and fifties still hail it because that phase rip system was ahead of its time and delightfully non-D20. I had some minor exposure to it because my Gamerall campaign stretched over every edition and there was a year we ran third edition Gamerall, which was used the ACT system that's that's just adapted from the system where it's all color bars and different degrees of success. And I look, I with 2021 eyes, I look at this and go, oh, this was ahead of its time. And like you were saying, like some all future superhero games. I mean, they've they've gone the D twenty way, but like mutants and masterminds, there's a there's a rules resolution for anything you can think of. It's very complex. And then the same guy, I want to say his name is Steve Kinson. If I got his name right, did icons, and that's his phase rip. 
system where it's, it's all open-ended and generalized and abstracted. So I oh, like yeah. the system. I want to play it now. I mean, WandaVision just ended and right on the box art is Monica Rambo. That's who I want to play. So Mike, you need to, you need to figure this out enough to run it for us as a group. And I'm going to play, I'm going to play Captain Marvel, the Monica Rambo version. Yeah. That was when she was, yeah. One of the eight heroes that come in the box is Monica Rambeau. But when she took on the moniker of Captain Marvel for a while before she became, before Carol Danvers came back as Captain Marvel, and then she became Photon, which I think and, they're just. And a third dumping. name too. I lose track. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out next movie. As opposed to Alma Mater, I want to play this now. <laughs> so somebody <laughs> run it. When I was talking about this being kind of a, a window back on the early days of Marvel, you know, as Corbett was saying, by the end of Bronze, beginning of the Dark Age or Iron Age or whatever they call it, you, you've got all the characters here. Corbett, you're for? The karma mechanic, I think, is really great. I thought it was a clever way to have people do good things, hence be a hero. <gasps> <laughs> Although I think it's funny, there's a picture of, um, or there's a, like a, a kind of a three-part picture of Spider-Man saving a dog. It's funny he has to swing all the way down to the street when he's got those like, you know, zip shot uh, web shooters. Uh, uh, two words, Gwen Stacy. Uh, Snap. Good point. <laughs> yeah. But still, um, I, I love the fact that, you know, they have a, a decent like way to accumulate ways to do special things later the the car uh, did you mention the karma system in the mic of the mechanics i don't know if you did or i not. did not i didn't want to get too granular in the character generation system but yeah i did not mention health which is hit points which is your yeah. fase fighting agility strength and endurance added together and then your karma which is your reason intuition and psyche added together on resources and popularity, but which are uh, the determined karma, uh, as different ways. I, I think karma makes it to where you could. I, I, I this is one problem I kind of have with the system, but a lot of superhero systems have the problem where you couldn't have the Hulk fight Iron Fist like he was in the comic because he'd flatten him. Or, or like me, you have a group of D and D players show up with three Wolverines, a Punisher, and Super Elf, <laughs> <laughs> or Spider Man. Arachno, he's just like Spider-Man, only he kills people. He kills people. <laughs> but Karma makes that sort of wide-spectrum balance of, oh, yeah, we're going to go fight Galactus, Spider-Man. What do you want to do? I guess I better bank up some Karma. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of interesting as a sort of uh, proto-luck mechanic and an experience point system substitute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even though there's no actual levels, you just improve your attributes or powers right kind of pricey too yeah and the karma points were one of the things that put me in mind of victorious as i was first reading through particularly the rule connected to it that the player must declare they're going to use karma before they make their role and it's like oh that's how the victory points work <laughs> except victorious works <laughs> <laughs> okay anything else I'm good. Liz? Okay, number four. Riffing on karma points, not only do you start out with those four attributes added together, but you can, of course, gain karma in-game. But what I really liked about it was not only can you gain karma by stopping crime and being your heroic self, but you can also gain points by attending to your private life in a positive manner. They have... Like having a party with your friends or just looking in on your Aunt May. Yeah, being a good person in your secret identity. Role-playing. Role-playing. It really encourages role-play outside of the hero identity. And 
to place focus on the secret identity as well. Crazy, right? Yeah, so I really <laughs> did like that. I also like the fact that you can lose karma by indulging in gratuitous property damage. <laughs> I can't burn the tavern down just because they won't serve me? No, you can't. Or you can, but you'll lose karma. And but what if I in- kill all the guards so there's no witnesses? <laughs> <laughs> then you lose all your karma. If, you, if you're a hero and you kill someone, you automatically lose every single karma point you've got. In some ways, I feel eh about a game trying to police players and to not being at Free art! But on the other hand, I think it's also, if you're coming from a D&D background, which a lot of people came into superhero RPGs from AD&D, it's a totally different mindset. And in AD&D, it's okay to kill your enemies, kill monsters, take their stuff. And you see a lot of it's it's hard to switch that mindset up. You know, I'm now playing a superhero, but I'm acting like a D&D character. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of on the fence about it. I think it could be a good idea, but I also think, do we should a game really be trying to police how people act or not? Like giving them some kind of alignment or something to follow and, and, cur- and I mean, curbing their and experience if they don't do it? Yeah, here's your alignment. <laughs> And no. <laughs> this touches on one of the things that's always been interesting about superhero role-playing games is that the overlap between D&D fantasy gamers and comic book readers is not a perfect Venn diagram. I mean, there's there's lots of overlap, but it's not all overlap. Mm. And that's part of the reason of the language for this game is that while TSR was trying to sell an RPG to RPGers, Marvel was insisting that it be basically an intro to RPGs for comics readers because they believed that most of the people who are going to buy this game would be Marvel comic fans and not really gamers. And so in 1984 that was that sounds semi legit. Yeah, which is why now that I know that I can forgive some of the more juvenile talk down of the text. Obviously the Marvel comics fans are going to play it quote unquote properly maybe. All right, my number 4. This is the first game I came across the term feat though it is not the D20 representative of it. It is function of exceptional ability or traits. And what it basically is using your abilities to try to push an attribute or power higher than it would normally be. And it helps you get column shifts on the universal table, which basically has percentile roll on it, a list of ranks, like I mentioned at the beginning, from Feeble to Class 1000, and it is shaded, like Jim was saying, to white, green, yellow, and red. Depending on the difficulty of what you're trying to do and what you roll, some things need a green feat success, others need a red, or yellow, or even a red. Reds are the really tough ones, obviously. And I liked that idea because a lot of superhero comics involve a hero taking a power they have and either pushing it beyond their normal everyday range or using it in a way that they don't normally use it as something else. Champions had the mechanic to where you could push the power increase, but they really had no system to let you use a power A for for effect B. It's, do you have that power? Great, you can do it. If you don't, no, you cannot do it, period. 
So classic I like uh, Lee Ditko issue where Spidey spends like four pages trying to get out from under a building that fell on him. Yeah, that was a really nifty thing. I can't swear to it. I don't think V&V has it either, but I could be wrong on that. No, I no. don't remember well enough. Anyway, Jim, three. Uh, something that didn't work for me back in the day or now is the rules written as meta narration by the Marvel Comics characters. And I don't think, I think I, I mean, I was reading comics when I was 10 and 12. I don't think I would have been, that would have been my style then either. It, it's cute for two paragraphs and then I'm tired of it. I just want to understand the rules. Agreed. You know, that was one that, of the things that turned me off at the time. That said, if you want your rules uh, narrated by Spidey or Hulk or Uata the Watcher, they're there. <laughs> so, boo meta narration. Again, I think that was also maybe aimed more toward the comic fans, but. Yeah, I agree. I think even as a comic fan, I would have found that irritating. That would have been a good place for the optional rules instead of that Spider-Man's mask watermark nobody can read past. You know, the little box Spidey says. Oh, know, yeah. Which, if it went full electric company, that wouldn't bother me. And I won't even start on Doctor Doom and Arcade both trying to talk about villainy. Just, <laughs> that's weird. Silence, fool. That's very specific to a couple of X-Men comics. Yeah, but just, yeah. Okay, Uh, Corbett? I found it funny because I never knew it. I always presumed whoever's on the Avengers team is getting paid. They actually reference it in um, uh, the resource points that Avengers get paid $1,000 a week, which I looked it up, and in 1984, the average person made about $500 a week, so an Avenger got paid twice as much as the average person in the U.S. But they also got room and board and and Jarvis to... Wash their undies, and that's I guess there's that. <laughs> you know, so. I just found it funny. I've never knew. I've never known. I always presumed they just like, hey, just put it on, uh, you know, Tony Stark's credit card, and let's go. <laughs> but credit cards? What are these strange things you speak oh, of? Oh, good point. This was many moons. <laughs> now there was is the eighties. Yeah, that's all about credit, credit buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Except it's being written by middle-aged guys who probably are still thinking it's nineteen seventy. So you know. So just so anybody wants to know, in nineteen eighty-four, if you were an Avenger, you got paid a thousand dollars a week. Bam. Sweet. <laughs> oh, free use of the Quinjet. That's got to count for something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Liz, three. Okay. One of the other streamlined things that I think work really well in this game. Vehicle stats. It is so simple. You've got body. Here, you've got here. control. You've got speed. Coming from a champion's background, vehicles were just as crunchy with stats as people were if you're making a vehicle if you're making a layer if you're making anything at all you have to stat it up the exact same way you stat up a character with a thousand different stats and stuff it's like ah who wants a vehicle i don't but this is so easy i really like how they work the vehicle stats and it i think it makes doing combat and stuff with vehicles so much easier as well. Vehicle has armor. You hit someone. If the person you hit has armor, then the armor goes towards damaging the vehicle and vice versa. And it's it's just so nice. <laughs> and you lose karma for trying to run somebody down with a yes. fantastic car. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they deserve it. I'm not sure that's maybe, fair. Maybe especially if they deserve it. Oh, no. Messi says that's unfair rule. Don't get excited. (laughs) 
house rule that Back away. Messi agrees we should be able to run over whoever we want. <laughs> Starting with Avon. <laughs> All right. My number three. What trademark, the trademark, heck, trademark, is trademark, up uh, trademark, with trademark, trademarks, trademark. There, there's a lot. They can't uh, I'm going to blame whoever name. Marvel's lawyer was and Brian Bloom. <laughs> yeah, trademark, trademark. Spider-Man trademark. Does met Fa- Mr. Fantastic trademark on in the Fantastic Art trademark going to Avengers Mansion trademark? Ugh. I'm pretty sure once you've initially trade done the trademark symbol, you don't have to keep doing it. But I may be wrong. I'm not really i'm clearly not an expert in trademark law but i would but i would think if you did it initially in within the same document you don't have to keep on but i don't know (laughs) yeah okay two jim i guess it's just easier to type tm 400 times than it is to do one paragraph on the inside cover (laughs) (laughs) that's the best i got uh my number two is uh one thing i was all in on Back in the day were the official minis TSR released for this game. I could I bought them all and opened them up and went and this was when TSR was doing its own minis line. And just like the DD and Star Frontier Gamma World minis, these minis sucked. They sucked so bad. This was an an age where I painted every mini I bought. Can you imagine such a time? It was a golden age. There were no unpainted minis. So I painted them all. <laughs> The quality was all, and the scale and anatomy was all over the place. Like, And th- that's no good. The Doctor Strange mini was fantastic. And then the Thing mini, it looks like he has stretching powers. His arm is going out so far. So the minis for this, I bought them all. I still have them, but they sucked. But yeah, the Wargame Club I was a member of had a rule. You could only use minis if they were painted on the table. That's a good rule. Yeah, made me paint. They were crappily painted, but they were painted, damn it. I slop and go gets it done. Yeah. Okay, Corbett. Did anybody read the uh, example making your own character? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I honestly, I mean, it was, it was, yeah, fine. It was interesting. It was typical, like, okay, Danny wants to go through and make this and make that. And he makes a character called Mach 1, which I was thinking was, oh, he's probably like a Flash <laughs> character or something like that. Yeah, like if, if Flash were Wolverine and Banshee. <laughs> and Man Bat. it's just yeah it's like it's like well where did he get mach one from i don't get the mach one at all and and, well mach one is the speed of sound so he has sonic powers well and then marvel went and created a whole different character named mach one later on but it's cheesy and 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 kind of an awful bad wolverine ripoff which bugged me but it was it it was as if a game designer wrote that example rather a marvel comics author or somebody really used the random generation rules for character generation to create a character and ended up with that individual well they're not 100 percent random I was I was remembering them as 100% random, but you you get the power and then you kind of adjust it as you see fit. It's just that he adjusted it to make it straight up Wolverine with some stuff, yep. but only on his feet. <laughs> uh huh. Only his feet were clawed, <laughs> so it's totally different. Don't hate me, but I I generated one randomly just for kicks to see and got a guy with a 90 strength and a 98 endurance. But he's I mean you just say go up and say boo. He's got the common sense and psyche of an idiot. Oh yeah, I I uh, oh seven on one of them. I'm like okay. I played Marvel. 
superheroes several years ago to North Texas, and we randomly rolled characters, and I rolled up my decrepitly old guy who had, like, battle armor, but he had claws, but they were feeble damage. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I'm thinking, what, they're, they're push tacks or something? <laughs> you know, like, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> and, and in the rules where they give you those tables in the um, campaign book with examples of every uh, ability, character ability through all the ranks, and, and the feeble range is all Aunt May, Man Thing, and Modoc. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or Xavier. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So. Mach 1. That was about it. Okay. Liz, number two. <laughs> number two. I'm going to talk about how to invent things. They got a whole section called Building Things. It's really well written. I like the rules and the explanations of how they work. The differences between inventing something and just kit bashing is a nice distinction too Mm -hmm. allowing for building something on the fly like macgyver use it just the one time then it's gone i also really enjoyed how they break down the invention into five parts vehicles robots weapons armored suits and special devices And any invention will be one or a combination of these things. And I kind of thought about it. It's like, yeah, that's a good point. It takes a long time to invent something as opposed to kit bashing, which is another thing which makes the kit bashing much more useful in a combat situation. You can make something in a fraction of the time, but you're only going to be able to use it the once. You're not going to have that thing permanently. If any of the invention's abilities has a rank higher than the inventor's reason rank, the judge makes a reason feat roll for the hero, and he does not tell the player what the result was. So you may think that you did it right, but you're not going to find out until the first time the invention is used. And then it blows up on your face, scars you, and you blame Reed Richards exactly. for the rest of your life. Although I did like, you know, if you're worried about mistakes, you can double check your work. But if you fail the double check, you still won't know. <laughs> I mean, that, that's how you build a Herbie the Robot who turns out to be secretly evil. <laughs> Those were two of my favorite pieces of Al Milgram art was in the section you're talking about, Liz. Because one had Reed stretching from page one, his arm all the way over to stretch page two. And the other one was a two-pager of poor Ben Grimm just hauling lab junk Ah. from blown up inventions from one page to the other (laughs) okay my number two i don't know if y'all looked at the adventure that came in the box set day of the octopus i did oh yeah Uh, enough to Um, see octopus robots yeah octodroids one thing i will say i mean it's a pretty stock intro adventure doc ock doing evil things gotta stop him the end but what i found particularly useful in this adventure is it had separate encounters set up if you just wanted to do the battle book. If you did not want to use the campaign book for role-playing, you could literally just, okay, each scene instead just has a combat setup. Now get in there and basically do a skirmish miniature war game of superheroes. It's almost like, here's an adventure that gives you both rules on how to be basic and advanced. So that was kind of neat. Yeah. And it was rather insightful, I thought. Yeah, I also noticed there were different portions of the adventure where 
It's like, well, if you want to extend this chapter of the adventure, you can have the heroes also do this, which I thought was a neat thing to include as well. It's like, you know, you can re- you can do it as stated, but here's some ideas if you want to make this part of it go on even longer. Have the heroes help put out this fire. <laughs> Buried plot hooks are always good. Yeah. All right, Jim, take us on in. Number one. My number one is the magic system. Oh, put on your shock faces. <laughs> I really like the magic system that they wrote in this game, even though it's weirdly open-ended, but still structured. I want to play it. I want to try it out. I mean, like, okay, you, you decide, and, and there are uh, GM cautions about, you know, because don't let people create Dr. Strange and, and end up, you know, with universe-ending powers. But as a, just as a magic system, okay, you have to make your spells up. You, you, you do it the inverted way. You figure out what you want to do with the spell, and you just announce it. And then you go into the phase rip system and start figuring out where what you've got to roll and where. This is one of the things that charmed me about this approach to the rules. As a magic system, I would love to try it. Except at the time this came out, it would never have worked. It, it, it would, this the magic system wouldn't work for rules as written brigade because there's no rules as written. There's just a, a structure to, to base it on. It's almost like invent your own magic system using this structure. And rules lawyers and power gamers would just tear it to shreds. And I was one back in when this came out. Yeah, I should have clarified when I was talking about the you know randomness of the character generation system. It does give an option in the judges section of the book of the campaign book to just have the character come up with. A character concept and you stat it out okay what powers would that be what ranks would that be so on and so forth and today i think that's a great thing but i think i know why i didn't remember it because back in the day i would have been horrified pretty much for the same reasons you're saying jim because every player i had would have tried to milk the system to the nth degree and i'd have had nothing but on-running arguments if I tried to use that sort of system. And again, for the same reason, because you're basically open-ending it and they're going to try to juice it as much as possible. But if you wanted to play a, a, a you know mid-tier Doctor Strange, okay, what do you need? You need flight, you need some kind of offensive damage spell, some kind of shield spell, and maybe a, a mind control. You're done. No. And you could make that up in the middle of a session if you wanted to. And as long as the GM allowed it and you ranked it right, done and done. Although his astral projection would be rough. Well, you get into a Superman problem. Like you could not create Superman and champions, no matter how you jack the rules. I've I've never seen DC, so I can't say. But no superhero game I've ever seen could effectively do Superman. And I'm talking about vintage Superman, you know, the one we all think about around the Christopher Reeve type. But anyway, okay, Corbett, number one. I think it does a great job. This is one of my earmark things that I always kind of pick on whenever a new super game comes out that I check on. If normal people can't have a fist fight, then it it loses something. This is one of my problems with B&B. If you put two normal people side by side and just have them start punching one another, that fight will never end because there's like a, I think a 25% chance that anybody could hit anybody else. And in, Marvel, it does a pretty good job. It's 50-50. It's not perfect, but it, it you don't have this sort of, you start off as super and then you get better. It's like, no, a normal person could be in this game and still do something. They may not be able to push a planet out of the way, but they can basically be in a combat and still be effective. Even like if, if you have Aunt May fight evil Aunt May, she's got a chance of taking her down. 
So <laughs> I thought that was kind of kind of good. It's a good earmark uh, to show that there there's no uh, to bring back a flashback to the last game. Uh, there's no loser character. Yeah, I, I get you, man. So like, if you're a cons- construction worker on a scaffolding and see the puppy being run over the car and there's a rope there you have at least got it may be a few columns to the left but you've got a shot at swinging down yeah. and grabbing a puppy i mean yeah it's 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 uh the innocent bystanders aren't 100 percent innocent or just just meat puppets waiting to be saved by the hero and I mooks just, with think, guns can't be totally ignored with impunity right right so yeah uh, nothing big but that's a okay. pretty important thing liz okay their rules for advancement are a bit weird to me. The one thing that really let, caused me to laugh out loud was in order to improve your abilities and powers or gain new powers, yes, you spend karma points, but you have to create an improvement fund <laughs> by spending 200 karma points. Those 200 points are completely lost, but your fund is now there, and now I'm getting, you know, banking analogies. Like, it's like money in a savings account. You mow grass all summer long and put that money in your checking account. That's right. Savings account. Place your karma points in the improvement fund, and then that karma can be used to improve powers and abilities. It's like, okay, why not just... Unless the market tanks, in which case, you know. <laughs> it's like, why do I have to spend 200 karma points just to make the fund in the first place? Why can't I just have the points set aside from the get-go? I, sus- <laughs> I suspect it's like training costs in AD&D. It's a way of soaking up gold. I this guess. is a way of soaking you up know, karma points. You know, and again, <laughs> you lose karma if you don't practice your powers, which strikes me as the training obligation to level up in AD&D too. It's like, why, why are we doing this? Maybe that was a Rick Jones thing, okay? Like he just hung around the Hulk forever. Then he hung around Captain America and the Avengers forever. And then finally somebody snapped the, the bracelets on and he got to be in the negative zone while Captain Marvel paraded around. Hooray! <laughs> but that that just I can't wrap my brain around the improvement fund. I think they could have come up with a better way of doing this. That that's one of the things I mean, for the most part I really like this game a lot, but there's there's just a couple of things like really? Why would you do that? <laughs> and I think advancement, that's one of the things that I'm not sure I care for the way that works. (laughs) Okay. My number one. It seems most superhero games develop powers generically like champions, in which case you have an energy blast. Well, that blast can be radiation, it can be electricity, it can be solar power, it can be a blast of water, whatever. The character decides it, but the game effect is a generic blast. Or you have Marvel superheroes method where a lightning bolt, you know, lightning powers are different from fire powers, which are different from water powers, which are different from so on and so forth. And each one has a slightly different effect. My gut tells me I don't like the Marvel superheroes method of you know making every single thing its own power because that makes this massive laundry list of powers. But on the other hand, it does make explaining the powers easier. So I'm not sure if I like or dislike it. It's just there. And now we'll head to see what makes the save and what takes half. 
what makes the safe, and what is going to take half. This time we'll start with Liz. Alrighty. Uh, for me, what makes the save? The universal table. That was my very favorite part of the entire rules. It is so elegant. You can, mm-hmm. you can quickly see at a glance whether or not you've got a shot at doing what you want to do. Depending on your ability stat, you can see what you need to roll, and you've got the different colors. You can just like, okay, I am nowhere near what I would need to be able is like, there's no way I could do this, even if I rolled 99. You know, I, I love that. I, I think it would streamline playing big time, being able to use that. And I'd love to have the opportunity to try it out and see. It just seems so awesome. I honestly don't see why they had separate combat tables. I think they could have used these, this universal table for everything. Yeah, make it really universal. Yeah. It's a rumor I heard. I don't know if it's true or not, but when TSR first had its big loss of firing of employees around this time, a lot of them went to go create a company called Pacesetter. They released games like Chill, Star Ace, and some others, and they all use this kind of universal table, Ah. which I thought was their way of kind of giving TSR the finger. (laughs) That is interesting. I was wondering where Pacesetter came from. Yeah, yeah, they were a bunch of ex-TSR guys that were all fired around this time. Because, I mean, it wasn't just out of maliciousness. TSR was hemorrhaging money, but that's a whole different reason as to why that was going on, Blooms. So, Corbett, what's yours? Hey, I didn't do my... Sorry, I didn't do yours. (laughs) I didn't get to talk about what doesn't make the save or what takes half. All right. Getting skipped over doesn't make the save. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously, though. Yeah, yeah. What takes half? The character sheet. (laughs) Oh my god, that is the most boring looking character sheet I have ever seen in my life. It's like they just used Helvetica all caps for everything. The lines. No place to draw the character too. The ruled lines in different sections are different widths apart. And the column headers are obviously not centered. They're just like all over the place. And the whole thing just screams, I didn't even try. You know, I just get this impression. It's like, hey, we're we ready to take this to the printers? It's like, oh, we don't have a character sheet. Quick, make one in five minutes. You, know? you get them, Liz. <laughs> wow, you're going to get bleep twice this episode. Ah, oh, it was awful. That's, that's just, oh, I hated the character sheet. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Corbett. I actually really enjoyed the um the walkthrough, the little comic book style kind of here's a picture of what's happening, this is what we're talking about of how to do the rules. I know it was a little juvenile, but it, it was kind of great for somebody who probably never would have played the game mm-hmm. to go, Oh, I get it. I understand this because I know comics and, and that's the way the thing works. I understand now. I I mean it's not perfect. But uh, I thought it was kind of cute, uh, very um, very functional. Yeah, no, it's a good idea. Let me see. Uh, something something I didn't like. Uh, oh yeah, mutants. Mutants were uh, yeah, mutants. You get a you you get a instant rep negative of forty to be a mutant. Yeah, and I mutants. forgot about how bad mutants were back then. Yep. Everyone mutant, hated so mutants. Bad. Well, plus in the middle of the X Men comic craze, every player probably wanted to be one. Oh yeah, everybody. <laughs> oh yeah. To be one. With claws. <laughs> Who's the best there is at what they do? 
Yes, yes, yes. What they do best isn't very nice. <laughs> You're level zero. We're just starting this campaign. Settle down. <laughs> That's why first... you make a karma bank. <laughs> <laughs> One day I'll be the best there is at what I do. <laughs> you want to be Wolverine? Okay, let's start the campaign 100 years ago. Now go. <laughs> As a lumberjack. Okay, Jim. Oh, what made the save for me is just the the fit and finish in the whole thing. This is a fantastic introductory RPG. If it's if it's truly your introduction to RPGs, then the age group doesn't matter either. And it was from the heyday of the TSR box sets. I mean, there was a lot of stuff in this. The two rule books, the adventure, dice and a crayon, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Not as good as Rocky and Bullwinkle, but Rocky and Bullwinkle. Rocky and Bullwinkle-esque, where you've got a character card with art on one side, stats on the back, plus little counters for the map Starboard and a map. Tears. Yeah, yeah, that there, yeah, there, there, lots there of was goodies. a zone there where you got your money's worth out of the 10 or 12 bucks or whatever it was. What doesn't make the save, and I can't believe nobody said this until now, no Stan Lee cameo. That's true. There's yeah. no Stan, Stan Lee doesn't show up anywhere in this game. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> no Stan Lee cameo, sad. Oh, well. Uh, Mine makes the save. It is a simple, easy-to-play game that quickly can get you playing superhero comic book battles really quickly. 16 pages quickly. And for as many superhero games are out there and how many rules are necessary to try to mimic a lot of those things, that's not a small feat. Jeff Grubb and Steve Winter deserve full kudos for that. It takes half. I heard a rumor that Marvel originally did not want a character generation system at all in this game. They wanted to make people just play Marvel characters, no one else. And that TSR slash Jeff Grubb or whoever talked them into sticking one at the end. I don't know if that rumor is true or not, but looking at it, it kind of shows. I can believe it. The character system is very rudimentary, random, Unless you allow the characters to choose everything, and you've got to be a rather confident judge in this game in order to let that happen. But I've never liked random generated systems. I didn't like them in Villains of Vigilantes, and I don't like it here. It's almost like a rules fossil. Yeah. And everybody's like, and even the text itself says you can roll up a character randomly, just like in D&D. Like, no, you don't roll your race randomly in D&D. You don't roll your class randomly in D&D. You don't randomly roll your gear. You could. You could, but nobody... (laughs) uh, And can you imagine how many players would howl at that? Well, I've said this before, and I do think this is a way where they are trying to emulate the the comic book trope of the person suddenly realizing they have powers. They have no... like Mach 1. (laughs) It's like you have no idea that you can do whatever your thing is. And so, you know, it's a surprise to you as it would be a surprise to the character. Well, Well, right. And what was no surprise was one of the splat books that came out later was a whole book of just the powers. The ultimate Mm -hmm. powers book, yeah. Well, in one of the later iterations of this, the uh, Margaret Weiss one in 2012, her version of creating a character was just make it. (laughs) No points, nothing. Just pick whatever it is you want and go. Well, that's kind of what they were implying as an option in this game, (laughs) but they apparently knew better. I know when the advanced system came out, advanced face rip was like a 
couple of years after this, 86 or 87, they added some ca- um, some columns. They had like shift Y and shift Z class 3000, which, okay, whatever. It, it was random, but you got to choose from different tables. So it was semi-random, but you could still roll, end up rolling up weird characters. So, all right. Well, that was Marvel Superheroes, the heroic role-playing game by TSR 1984. It is still active today in the Face Rip Lives movement. There are websites we'll put on the show notes, so you can go download free copies, not literal copies, but free copy rewritings of the rules so that you can play the system and give it a try for free. I don't think DriveThru or anybody has legal copies of the original PDFs, though. I don't know if... If TSR or if Watsi's gotten around to releasing that, probably not. I'm guessing it's like music and TV shows at the contracts right. don't allow They'd it. They'd have to but, get Marvel's permission on it or something because of all the TMs. <laughs> but it's relatively easy to get on eBay for the usual, you know, you're going to pay 50, 70 bucks. Yeah. Well, but oh. they've kept up with the, the current, the advanced system. You can get all the advanced books online or a version of them. And, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think the rules are under the. Uh, the open license thing, aren't they? The actual rules are. Well, they're yeah, not. The, corporate, they're not those OGL. Rules don't come with, those rules don't come with the old cheesy dice and the crayons. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. For all we know, maybe they are available free. You know, i i don't I don't recall seeing them anywhere. I, but... I, I went to classicmarvelforever.com, and they have a whole thing. They had the original PDFs. You can not the original, the a version that is. They're apparently legal somehow because they have a Patreon and everything. They're retro clones. Sure, we'll call I it have that. Have an idea. Since we build this as a podcast about old school games and the modern games inspired by them, how about someday we do a sequel episode and just look at all the stuff you can get today? Ah, good point. Yeah, that because they have be like all the versions of like you were talking about. Spider Man was about to get his black suit, and then Spider Man Spider Armor, and like there's different versions of everybody through the years. Oh, oh, I want to play Bully McGuire. Oh, yeah, and like G.I. Joe and Transformers were in Marvel Comics, so they made stats for them. Like all those popped up in there. Spider-Man fought Ravage. (laughs) Godzilla fought the Shogun Warriors in a Marvel comic. Wrap your brain around that. Yeah. Kiss was in Marvel Comics. (laughs) Don't even get me started on Rom Space Knight. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, hope you've enjoyed listening, everybody. Say goodnight, folks. Good night. See ya. Excelsior. <laughs> Shift Briarch. <laughs> <laughs>
peeing in the Vader. Laugh a little louder, go forever crater. We can show you how to. When will you be then? You belong, you belong, you belong, you belong to the Merry Marble Marching Society. March along, march along, march along to the song of the Merry Marble Marching Society. If you growl, if you groan, with the dour sour up, we'll give you howl, if you moan, you can lose your sour crust from keeping trim and in step with the vim and upset of the Merry Show you how to... 